to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to have as my guest, Lisa Colon delay Lisa is the author of the recently released The Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice. This is a great book that introduces the process and the possibilities of a deep dive spirituality. Lisa's a teacher, spiritual director, and she's also the host of Spark My Muse, a top-rated religion and spirituality podcast. She has an MA in spiritual formation, and she hails originally from Puerto Rico. She's also taught in many settings, from graduate schools to workshops, and her work has appeared in several anthologies and in dozens of places in print and online. She also offers spiritual companioning and retreats. Lisa lives with her family outside of Philadelphia. I hope that you enjoy this rich conversation as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Lisa. It's so great to have you here today. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, Can you share a little bit of background on your own spiritual journey that led you to the present where you have a podcast, you're spiritual director, you do some teaching, and you're the author of a really great book, um, The Wild Land Within, Cultivating Wholeness Through Spiritual Practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've always been in a sense, a kind of cradle Christian, because I didn't have a choice in the matter. My parents met at um, what was called Baptist Bible Seminary in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. They met there and my mom wanted to be a pastor's wife. My dad wanted to be a pastor. Um, and they moved to open up a church and do missionary work in Puerto Rico, where I was born. And my dad um, was Puerto Rican. And so I always remember praying to Jesus, loving Jesus, you know, it was just part of our lives. And, and it was a very legalistic kind of upbringing. So I had to do lots of deconstructing over the years. Is, is God like an angry policeman or, you know, a wrathful father or um, are Jesus and God the same? You know, I had to wind up doing a lot, doing a lot of deconstructing, going to seminary on my own. I think thinking I was going for um, more education toward Christian writing and really dealing with actual wounds there and image of God, misconceptions, things like that. Um, I've done all kinds of different sorts of ministry. Prison ministry um, really gave me a sense of what other um, brothers, in this case, brothers at the federal uh, penitentiary level, um, people of color who aren't really included in, in sometimes in an education process in Western American Christianity. Their voices aren't heard. We don't read their books necessarily, things like that. Um, and it doesn't seem to apply to them sometimes, some of these white-centered Christian teachings and things like that. So all these things have been kind of working their way uh, in and out. And I've been blogging since 2005. Probably it was about 2009 that I started thinking about how I would run a right towards spiritual formation and essentially how do we imitate Jesus, become like Jesus. Um, so this book is actually quite a long time coming and uh, it's changed a little through the years, some of the focal points and um, things that I've learned, especially when it relates to early Christians, Eastern Christians and the desert spirituality of the Abbas and the Amas. You, you brought just an array of um, 
real, real wisdom and different sources. So I can actually see that it's taken you a while because you do, you bring a lot of conversations partners together in this book and, uh, and, and even the exercises at the end, uh, you can just see that this has been kind of tested and, and such, but I love how you start off, you use the metaphor of, of flyover country, like we're yeah. flying across the United States and use that for spiritual formation. And you also, and then again, you had me like on the, it was almost one of the very first pages you, cause you bring up the Jahari window and, yeah. you know, and I'm a, I'm a coach and we use that for yeah. both secular and Christian stuff. And I, I love that. And, and I, use it i find it really helpful for pastors and yeah. so could you talk a little bit about the jahari window and also your metaphor of flyover country for how it relates to spiritual formation yeah for those on youtube there there it was you yeah can see this is the jahari window. window if you're watching my yeah. video and if you're watching if you're just listening you could always tune into the video but if you can picture um a window with cut into four pieces um this is a heuristic for just understanding how our interior world can work. It's not, um, there's no magic to it or, <laughs> you know, it's just one helpful tool to maybe see what are we working with? What are we dealing with here? And um, it was Joseph Luft and Harrington Ingram. Uh, there were psychologists in the fifties who came up with this idea of for doing inner work, what are we talking about? And so um, if you can imagine these, these four squares, you know, um, there's the section of us, the, the part of us that is known to us and known to others. And then there's the part of us that is a blind spot. We don't see it, but other people do. Like this, if you have a bad temper and you didn't realize it because that's your family of origin stuff. And then you run across all these people who are having a problem with how you're reacting. That's a blind spot until you know otherwise. And it moves into a different quadrant. And the quadrant called facade is, is really fascinating too, because some of it is is healthy facade in terms of um, as someone who has uh, issue with oversharing might need to get their facade quadrant in check. But a lot of us, and I would say everyone in some manner presents a version of themselves that they think will be pleasing or approved by others, whether you want to seem smart or kind or uh, hip or something, you know, wealthy maybe, we all have these little facades that we put up. We know better, but the people on the outside might not. If they do know better, then that would be the blind spot quadrant. And then the fourth and last quadrant is just the complete unknown. We don't know about it and no one else does either. And this can happen when we have wounded areas uh, in our lives. We may or may not know about them. Sometimes it's pretty obvious. Other times we've never encountered something that challenged those places in us. No, that's uh, that's that. that I, I think that's I think that tool is so helpful. So yeah. folks could look it up. And Joe Hari, Joe and Harry <laughs> made yeah. a tool. So it sounds real mysterious. But if you don't know what it is, you can look up J O H A R I on Google, and you can just mm -hmm. see various things. But Lisa does a really cool thing with this and makes it for spiritual formation, and it is uh, is super helpful. I'm just curious. Um, and I don't want to get a sidetrack, but when when I think about the Jahara window, and I've never been officially trained, I've just played around with it and done different stuff with it. That that little mystery quadrant that you're talking about where right. we a lot of time we have our pain and that that's clearly part of it i've i've often wondered in in your mind if you're fully formed and again it's always a process i mean ideally the window known to self knows to others would expand and potentially push make smaller our blind spots hopefully yeah. if we're growing in grace and also the i think you're calling it the facade quadrant that's the one that's kind of our 
are uh, are hidden, are hidden, are mm-hmm. are intentional things that we hide about ourselves down the other window. So those should probably both get smaller as we become fully integrated. Mm-hmm. I've often wondered if that mystery quadrant. I mean, the wounded stuff that could get smaller, but I've often wondered if the mystery was just sometimes when we are blind, our world, we think it's, we see, we think we can see the whole world, but we really just have a really small version. So I've often wondered if um, this, that ideally the Jahara window goes two dimensional in the sense that the, the, the known to self, known to others gets really big, but then that mystery thing gets gigantic because it opens us up to more of oh. deeper truths about God. And again, maybe no one's ever asked I you that, but that. I've, I I've just that. kind of pondered that myself as kind of a goal oh. of like sanctification and stuff. Right. Well, that sounds that sounds right on to me. I mean, I, again, it's a heuristic. It's just a it's just a little tool. But I'm wondering uh, to piggyback on on what you're saying is that we have no idea about ourselves really. Yeah. Um, of course, we have no idea about God, right? And then we don't have any idea about ourselves, and we hardly have any idea about other people. Right. But I'm wondering if you have a point that once you do some inner work. we are essentially like universes, right? And can we really know ourselves completely? I I don't think so. But um, delving in deeper uh, into those, when we know we're delving into this unknown quadrant, we'll feel this stretching experience that people talk about or a discomfort. Um, If it's too painful of a discomfort, we just back off and go back to facade. But if we have the support, I would say, Important community is huge of uh, people you love and trust who have your best interests in mind, um, as well as you feel courageous um, through a grace of the Holy Spirit. You can start pushing towards this unknown, and it, it can get revealed in one of the other places. Then, um, obviously, our blind spot is helped by the same sort of thing. People saying, "I love you," but maybe you need to take a look at the relationship with your dad, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. whatever it could be. Or um, and facade is really a lot of times damaged by trust issues, trauma, and betrayal issues. You'll want to be much more private when you've been hurt before. Um, some of it is a good boundary to have because there's no need to have everyone be your best friend and know all your stuff. You know that's really saved for a few people. So and um, you know people who have no tact who say oh i'm just being honest yeah. but they're actually being mean right right <laughs> their facade is kind of ripped off in a way they their facade is really like i'm going to tell you how it is because i'm so tough i can handle it but really they should have some facade of um just consideration towards other people you don't say every single thing that pops in your head not you know because not because you won't be in you will be inauthentic but because you know it's damaging to people if you say whatever pops in your head. Yeah, that's good. And you do some remarkable things with contrasts between East and Western Christianity. And then you've also brought a lot of um, like global voice, especially different versions of liberation theology into the spiritual formation realm. So let's start with the contrast that you make between our Western Christianity and then insights that you can get from the East. What, what challenges does most of us who've again we've drawn we've drunk off the the wells of western christianity what what have we missed by not knowing as much about say orthodox christianity and some of its deeper roots that's a wonderful question and i hope that when people read this they don't think i'm just busting on western 
Christianity or American no. Christianity. There's flaws in each way of of understanding God in each tradition. There's there's flaws and problems. But one of the things that has really really affected Western Christianity, Protestantism, and Catholic uh, Catholicism both is that Christianity was co-opted under Constantine as the official religion of the superpower of the world. So as they're taking people over and they're killing them and raping them, they have the cross out there in front because it's sort of a superstitious thing, you know, maybe yeah. God will. Um, and then it became completely co-opted with status, class, wealth, power. And as the Roman Empire is going out and later the Holy Roman Empire is going out, neither holy nor Roman, but uh, <laughs> it's going out to for conquest in the name of God, as if it's God's will to um, destroy villages and civilizations and to um, just take them over, force them to convert, as if that's something Jesus would be interested in. Yeah. Um, that Roman conquest, the missionary impulse that we get as a heritage of that, um, these are all hidden influencers in what we experience today, the shape of Christianity and faith in the West, comes from these forebearers uh and there's no way to separate that it's just there uh, eastern christianity orthodox coptic christianity doesn't have the same historical influencers it hasn't been perfect either they've had trouble with power and things like that but not quite on the level of um conquering the new world or or anything like that and so it's just good to know that the kind of Christianity you know about in, in America or Protestantism or whatever, that is just one kind. And there's a lot of other things going on. Uh, you can gain so much wisdom from some of these other teachers in the Christian tradition, especially the early desert monastics really made a huge impact on me. That's good. And yeah, and just to make clear, when, when you read your book, there is no negativity. To me, it's it's one of those, it goes back to the Jahari window, it's a potential blind spot when you just have one tradition, and you don't even know what you don't know, essentially, right? But it's other people, if you could see the bigger thing, they would know some stuff. So yeah, definitely all um, positive way you portray these things, uh, which brings us to context, which I think is really helpful. You bring in some different voices in the spiritual formation, which, which is vital in the world that we find ourselves in today. And so uh, why is it important to, to consider, say, context that we find ourselves in when we do the spiritual formation? And I guess I want to ask it, who are the winners and losers if we just make it a cookie cutter, one size fits all spiritual formation? Hmm. I love that question because it, it gets to the heart of God's own heart, mm -hmm. which is to say that God has always, always been for the underdog. Yeah. period. If you look in the Bible, you'll see Ruth, um, you know, a, a foreigner, um, widow, no money, no clout whatsoever. And that's part of the ancestry of Jesus. Uh, we see these people who are not empowered and, and have no status money, or they're not the right color, they're not the dominant culture, whatever. We see this shown over and over as a picture of God's grace and love for us that is tremendous. Jesus came as an oppressed person of color with no money, with no status. Um, God, when God shows up as a person, God doesn't show up as a Caesar, uh, you right. know, uh, from Rome, you know? So I think that if we don't see that these other voices are 
not just part of the story of what God is up to, but the centerpiece of what God is up to. If we don't see that happening and we think we're the center of God's story, we're the chosen people, um, it's incomplete. There's gaps. It's a poor fit. And if you can, I maybe would, to put this into kind of a real scenario, you know, imagine that you, you're going to someplace fancy and you get a cut on your neck, right? Yeah. And it's it's in full view and you're like, I hope I can cover that up with, with something. So you go to the store to get Band-Aids, but all the Band-Aids are for very dark skinned people. Oh. You might think, oh, nobody thought about me when they made these. This world isn't made for me. Uh, how am I gonna fit in? I can't. And this is actually what happens. When have you seen dark skinned Band-Aids? They exist. But the world in, in the United States isn't made for people that aren't white, essentially, most of the time. It's mm -hmm. not taking them into consideration. It doesn't want to listen to the, their voices, their opinions, don't put them in leadership, all this stuff that sidelines um, people God loves. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, this is the context for understanding God's heart, but also for growing uh, in an apprenticeship with Jesus. So um, like, what would be some tips then with that streak? I mean, a lot of the folks that are listening to this podcast are, are many of them are pastors and, mm -hmm. and I'm guessing the majority are probably, um, you know, Anglo or, or white, mm -hmm. uh, white persons in the United States. Um, so what are some ways or practices for people that may be unfamiliar with anything other than what they've ever, what they just know from their their own context, that that they can reach out to learn from people mm. that are different and practices that are different from from how they kind of grew up in the faith. What what, yeah. what tips do you give for for folks who are trying to expand their uh, sources for their formation? Yeah, if people are even willing to do that at all, mm. I'd love to encourage it and and rally behind them and say yes, let's do this. Um, I'd say it's important first to reflect on what you believe and and your doctrine in terms of uh, not not to focus on the minors but ask yourself who does my theology benefit mm -hmm. who is left out if there's somebody left out um we should try to realize that if we have a if we have the, like Anne lamott says Annie lamott says if we have the same if we think god has the same enemies as us you can be sure that you're worshiping a false god you know a false god um i think Good. we have to see who's being left out of this story that we have going and um that realize the dominant group will always be somewhat blind have mm -hmm. somewhat of a blind spot to what's happening for people who inhabit other bodies that look different ways and there's not going to be a, a way that this is going to become life-changing for you unless you become close and loving in a mutual relationship uh, not in just a ministry relationship with people who don't look like you but actual mutual friendship where you're learning their wisdom and having the humility to realize i do have blind spots there's no way around it i've never known life except for in this body of course i have blind spots um and to be curious about other people read other read other books be curious about people who don't look like you who have written books uh, have a curiosity and intentionally read books by people who don't look like you and don't have your same aspects. And, and I'm including disability, LGBT, mm -hmm. uh, people from different tra Christian traditions, people from different parts of the world. Um, it's, it's fascinating when we think um, 
broaden that. And it doesn't mean you have to go along and agree with every single thing you read, but it, it should be interesting to you that people have other ideas and will definitely see God in different ways than you've ever even considered. Now, and I'll just attest that, I mean, almost all the growth in my own life has just been reading things that at least on the surface, I assume I'm going to disagree with. And then often I'm really just surprised by what I learn. And then it just, it, you know, and then, then there's, it's always a give and take conversation. So that is, it's just so, um, otherwise it is, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I just, I get bored if I read stuff that I already know what they're going to say. So I was, I'm always looking for new conversation partners, but I guess that's me as a professor too. But I've, I found that, that it doesn't actually just expand your faith, expand your understanding of who God is. And I, you know, I, I like to think it's made me mm-hmm. over the years, a, a slightly better human being than I would have been yeah. otherwise, but I let other people judge on how good of a human being I am, <laughs> of course. But, uh, but that, but thank you for that. Um, now, in, now let's just, just go straight in. You, your whole book's about how to grow in grace. And it's, it's mm-hmm. so, it's so rich. You bring a lot of classic disciplines in, um, mm-hmm. again, can't say enough. I think really one of the better books that I've read in a long time on spiritual formation, but mm. what is it in our inner life? And I think this is what you do really well, because you kind of diagnose the problem um, in a, several different chapters, but what is it about our inner life that requires such a deep cleansing of God's grace? Beyond just saying we're sinners, of course we know right, that. But right. I mean... <laughs> yeah, and that becomes that we're sinners becomes pretty obvious pretty quick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we we know that. <laughs> I always thought you don't have to tell. There's very few people you have to tell that they're sinful. They totally get it. <laughs> so, um, well, one of the things that I I gained a lot from is learning from uh, Father Thomas Keating, and this wasn't his original idea, but I think he perhaps made it familiar to more people is that we have each person when you're just a human mammal in the world, you have three core wounds. Sometimes the wounds are small and sometimes they're huge. And sometimes, you know, they're just pop up from time to time. But because we're vulnerable, fragile, mortal mammals and social ones at that, we will always be suffering to some degree from these core wounds. And not because we're disgusting and repulsive to God, but because that is um, how God's love is shown and shared through us needing each other so badly. So the three core wounds are safety and security, esteem and affection, and power and control. And you can sense what your deepest wounds are, which which one, and you'll have all three, but you can sense your deepest ones by your triggers. For instance, if you feel left out a lot, um, that's a esteem and affection wound. If you feel uh, afraid in your own body, unsafe in your own body, that's more core. That's a deeper wound. That's safety and security. Some people, and, and this has been my experience, feel anxious and unsafe in their actual physical body Mm -hmm. and to to grow from that heal from that you have to really slow things way way down and ask god to come into those parts and a lot of these things are healed in community i'm not a self-help person because i think there's no way we can help ourselves we can't be alone in this you know even god working with us god has to be seen i think through other people and we experience that kind of love and connection too to come into our fullest potential and healing. So those are the the first things that I think are important, but also Evagrius teaches us some wonderful things about how our thoughts are not us. And this, this might sound too simplistic, but if you really think about, you're not your thoughts. Thoughts come and they go, and and I describe them as weather. You can, you can have a sunny day that gets overcast and then it'll be sunny again. Well, 
you don't have control over those clouds and you don't have control over the thoughts and feelings that arise, especially because of woundedness. Now you do have control and agency over if you'll give them attention and time. Yeah. And you'll think, oh, if you're thinking lustful thoughts, well, the worst thing you can do is go to some uh, channel that has a lot of things that will arouse that even worse. So obviously you can contribute to that. You can uh, contribute to it getting worse. You can let it go and, you know, speak to somebody about what you're going through, read a book, whatever. And so I think that these eight afflicting thoughts, which I mentioned in the book as weather fronts, um, they're caused by certain inner climates um, that are sometimes based on experiences and wounds and education and all sorts of other hidden influencers, what we look like to the world and that too. And then these eight afflicting thoughts are really how Evagoras is sort of a meteorologist of internal weather. And he yeah. says, yeah, these thoughts are coming because you're human and you're going to feel anger and you're going to feel uh, acedia and, and all the rest. But if you are reflecting and noticing it, you can do this metanoia, just turn back again, turn back to God over and over and over. And you can prevent yourself from becoming sinful in those specific ways that are part of your wounding. Yeah, so good. And uh, again, I know you, you you talk about centering prayer in your book, Prayer of Eximen, and those are ways that really do kind of conf let you, well, get the experience that you're not your thoughts because you can kind of, over time, you probably the most startling thing if anyone, no one's ever done any kind of meditation is then you get this weird experience. I'm like, I'm seeing myself thinking. So who's actually yes. doing the thinking? And it's, it's such a freeing thing. And and I loved your metaphors too. That's that's one of the things I like about your book. You just like from flyover country to now here, it's the different types of weather. It's just uh, such really clear, helpful things that you can just grasp because these are pretty deep concepts that you're, you're really talking about, but you make it really simple. And that's a, that's a real gift that I saw in, in your writing and in your, um, in your teaching. Um, talk about fear a little bit. And I, I made a, I wrote a question, like, how do, how do our fears help us grow? I mean, how does, how does fear both a, you know, it's an impediment, but it can also be a, yeah. a, a, a catalyst for growth if we approach it the right way. You know, this is really interesting. And as I'm reading uh, uh, Paul Tillich lately, oh, I've, yeah. <laughs> I've seen even deeper stuff as it relates to um, and Rene Girard and and mimetic desire and things like that. So I would I would say this is a really interesting thing. I, I believe it's Tillich that says the ob we all have when we have fear, we have an object of our fear. When we have anxiety, there is no object. It's general yeah, and it's yeah. based on chaos or the unknown or, you know, uh, we've seen so much anxiety during this COVID plague. And sometimes the anxiety gets put on an object so that we can actually fear it. Yes. But, you know, of course, as humans, we all have fears. I mean, if you, if you think no fear, you want the bumper sticker that says no fear, you just, you know, that's facade again or blind spots because it's it's just part of the territory of being able to be uh, infected or killed or whatever, um, be vulnerable in all sorts of emotional ways too. So fear, I think, is, is something we have to befriend. Mm -hmm. It's not something we should try to just beat down and fight against and conquer it or run away or hide or freeze and hope it goes away. I think fear is something we befriend as a very elemental part of ourselves be like it's it's okay that i'm afraid if i wasn't afraid i'd i'd have a serious mental issue <laughs> i'd be like a sociopath or something i mean that's why people are psychopathic is because they don't 
have a fear of consequences or disconnection from others. So fear plays into the very most elemental things of our self. And Jesus tells us to not be afraid. And, and that's really uh, not because it's sinful, but because it's so distracting. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so what should we do to not be afraid? Well, I think it's important to ask your fear questions, see what those deeper things are. And they often, like I mentioned in the book, they often relate to core wounds. Mm -hmm. So it could be that you're really fearful, say, to take a job, a new job or move or you know, it could be in a relationship, whatever. But underneath that fear, there's a lot of other stuff going on. And you might wind up thinking, oh, I'm a fearful person. It's like, well, you're having fearful thoughts because you have some woundedness in, in your internal world from other things. Don't be ashamed about it. Don't worry about it. Just, just keep digging. Just keep yeah. asking and being curious about your fear. And that's really where the holy work of the spirit happens. I believe that God gives us the strength and the love um, hopefully to, these practices I mentioned also help in intimacy with God. Um, they're not a, whatever, I kind of feel like whatever spiritual practice really works for you is great. For some people, it might be taking a walk or listening to music. You know, mm -hmm. for me, it's a whole bunch of different things, but it's especially becoming quiet and um, just settling in the presence of God on the edge of waiting, really. It's kind of a, a way to, center myself down uh, to the mo most essential things. Um, so I guess I talk about fear in a few different ways in the book, but I especially hope that people are encouraged to befriend it. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's such a great, I mean, that's such a great advice. And it's, uh, it's so easy to say that, but it's not the easiest thing to do. And, and, and again, the, the, one of the things I appreciate about your book is um, you emphasize uh, doing it again in community. I remember what, even when we got in touch, you're like, you know, you know, cause I had to read your book really fast, really but you fast. said it, it was, <laughs> and I, it, but you, you know, ideally you take a book like this with a couple other people, you read it together, you put the practices in there. So, you know, you, you really do you know, like practice what you preach, so to speak. And it, it's, it's, it's so good. Um, the other thing I really liked and well, so many things I like, but you know, one of my favorite books is the body keeps the score. And, um, yes. and, and it's just funny. Um, I, I just, yeah. I just ran into that book last year and now I just, everybody seems to have known about it except for me for such a long time. But, <laughs> but, but when I read it, I thought, Whoa, this is this little missing piece that mm. I've needed for my own life because I know that I've carried, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I have trauma like other people, but every people, everybody, has different levels of trauma but it, it just and i just explained why my body has felt different certain ways but then you take it another step in the book and you use the really tragic story of the tulsa uh, race riots about mm -hmm. as a, as an illustration for really like communal trauma yeah. um, and so just speaking of individual or kind of corporate trauma um, how does spiritual formation help us to heal trauma and again obviously that could be an hour conversation but uh, just a couple thoughts on that if you would please <laughs> yeah well um there's a book there's i'm sorry there's a chapter in the book called firebox and this is yeah. where i deal with the most difficult things we encounter suffering or pain that isn't quickly fixed. Yeah. Uh, and so this could be related to um, how you present in the world. If you present as um, a black woman in the United States of America, um, you you kind of are, people make decisions about you before they even know you at yeah. times, right? Yeah. Um, and so I talk about ambiguous loss 
and disenfranchised grief. Mm. And these are things that exist in individuals, but also in, in communities. And so I wanted to make sure that we realize a lot of times we're, we're suffering together and not totally aware of that. Um, we're not really attending to that. And I think it, we've really suffered for the fact in, in really contemporary times of not having real ways to lament and bereave. Those things have gotten shorter and shorter and less significant. We've been more separated from people who pass away. Um, and so we are left with this embodied grief. Um, so grief and all the other things are housed non-lingually in our body. They, there's a kind of memory. There's a kind of... Um, because we're not just heads walking around. I mean, this is a real Western American concept. I'm like a head just walking around and my body carries me from room to room. But of course that's not the case. Um, we store trauma in our bodies and certain communities of people who have been persecuted and damaged and have endured a lot of suffering. There are, and this is, this is one of the reasons why you see um, certain illnesses crop up that are stress-related illnesses being more so in certain communities. It's not just some genetic thing. It's because there's been communal trauma that's been generational. And when we begin to realize that, we have to realize that healing has to be embodied too. It can't be about believing the right things or praying the right prayers, but that our body has to feel safe again. And we have to acknowledge that our body has suffered, which is much harder because again, it's not lingual. It's not language-based, but most of our life is actually not language-based. We just doesn't seem like it because here I am communicating to you in words. But a lot of how we experience the world isn't really based in language and based in this thinking part of our brains. No, it's good. Um, and that's the place where obviously we need, we need some tremendous healing today that we don't even know. I think this last year has just shown that everybody's just kind of mm -hmm. fried out. I mean, I noticed um, just, I don't, this is completely anecdotal. You've probably seen this too, but in my own coaching work, the, the folks that I work with who actually embrace kind of deep spiritual formation and contemplative practices, it's not like it made the last year easy, mm -hmm. but it seems to have taken a little bit of the edge off. So they're, mm -hmm. so they've been able to, uh, thrive as much as they've been able to because of spiritual formation because you've just seen everything just kind of coming on end and, and the, the the trauma of even the quarantine and everything you just uh, has let everybody get a little bit of taste of um yeah. what we hold in our bodies and that's um that's that's been so so interesting so i'm kind of hoping out of all this stuff uh We'll see a revival of deep spiritual formation practices that may spur you know the a real a true awesome revival of the Holy Spirit and everything in our world to bring deep transformation, healing and such. And, you know, I think your, your book, I think can be a real catalyst and a vehicle. So again, I want to recommend uh, your book, the wild, uh, wild, I'm going to miss it now, the wild land within, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to wrap up with just a couple of shorter questions now. And I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to be with me today. Um, but what's, what's next for you? I mean, what, what, do you have another books coming? Is there a book you're afraid to write? I mean, what, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> when you sent some of those questions early, I was like, Oh, these are good. These are good questions. Um, well, we talked a little bit about desire. Um, I'm interested in writing about three kinds of desire that we see in the temptations of Jesus, we see in the Lord's Prayer and some other places that I think if we could um, 
understand it a little bit better. Another, It's another kind of spiritual formation, kind of looking deeply and reflecting type of book, probably. But again, I'm not totally sure. I just find this very interesting how we um, don't desire what other people have. We desire desire. And we um, find ourselves being made or destroyed based on our interpretations of what people are desiring. It's really, really fascinating to me. And once you kind of learn a little bit about it, you're like, wow, I, I should dig into that. That sounds great. So I, it might be something like that. I don't have, um, I have some ideas written down. I don't know if that'll actually come to fruition. And if it takes as long to write a next book as it did for the first one, who knows? Um, I'll be in a older folks home or something. But um, I think maybe the that might not be the book I'm afraid to write. The book I'm afraid to write might be about something that's more like memoir and that talks about actual painful, really painful things that happened, but not in a way uh, that's gratuitous, but in a way that is honest. And when I start to delve and reflect into that, I realize just how much more healing I have to do, uh, in, an incredible amount. You know, and we were talking about that, the more you know, then the, the more it opens up this unknown area into this universe you didn't realize you were hoping it was a solar system right but it's right actually right right that's a, that's a great illustration too that's awesome yeah <laughs> so i i would say that i do have plenty of work to do and i realize it the most when i think about writing um, memoir some something in those uh in that right range no, that's, that's good that's good and, and so can you talk a little bit and again you don't have to be too too personal on this but like i always like to ask the folks on the show like what is your like rhythm of life, rule of life. What does that kind of look like for you in a given day? Not that people are going to copy you, but just to give some, like to get, let people see the variety of things that help people grow. Yeah. Well, um, I would say that I, I do have some very regular practices of uh, the Jesus prayer and centering prayer are part of things I do many times a day because I'm trying to, uh, I have a diet of not too much media and, and trying to kind of curate how I live so that I, so that my thoughts don't run wild. Cause that's what, that's what I'm kind of want to do, you know? So I um, know that I have to kind of limit my media, limit the negative things because I take them on so profoundly um, and they're triggering and, and whatever else. So I do find that um, Lexio Divina is one of the most powerful entry points for learning about prayer with no words, no concepts and no images, that you begin with the scripture and then you, at the end, at the end of the fourth movement, um, and there's some of this on my sparkmymuse.com um, website if you if people want to look up Lexio Divina, but you start with scripture in, in just a little portion and then you meditate on it, you pray with it, and then in the end you just rest and rest in the presence of God, feeling loved. And it's not like it's going to be this amazing episode every time and you're going to feel so close to God. Sometimes I just feel like my prayers bounce off the ceiling, but um, I notice that anything that helps me understand who God really is, who is best seen through Jesus, it helps me heal, helps me grow. It helps me love others more. 
It's so good. So good. Yeah. I just, I just appreciate the, the you know, the, the honesty there and even, I mean, and it is so good. I always love it when people say that, you know, you can't expect something awesome to happen every time. Cause sometimes we give the impression that these are these little magic tricks, but there's no <laughs> right. manipulation of God and stuff. And it's just, um, it's so good. Um, so again, here's the impossible question. Now you're very well read. So if you're just going to pick a couple books that have really <laughs> helped you spiritually, other than the Bible, what would a couple of your favorite books that really impacted you be? Yeah, when I saw this question, Brian, I was like, oh, you it's like making me pick which child should live, you know. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so um, my Sophie's choice here. Um, well, I would say that one of the some of the first um writers to get me interested in in praying in different ways and understanding God from different vantage points were the Catholic writers Henry Nowen and Thomas Merton and Inner Voice of Love is like a journal that Henry Nowen writes when he's going through horrendous uh, mental breakdown. And the way it's written is is very intimate. And I appreciate that. And it kind of kind of broke down some walls, perhaps. And then I probably read Thomas Merton's New Seeds of Contemplation three or four times a year. It's it is like book. a just good food. <laughs> but in terms of some of the most profound uh, that kind of was the, those were the entry drugs into this, but it's uh, good. <laughs> the things that have really, I would say that I'd love to mention the cross and the lynching tree by Dr. James Cohn and yeah. with head and heart by Dr. Thomas, I mean, Dr. Howard Thurman and those two books altered all my silly little um, constructs, I would say in, yeah. in whiteness and, it really made me, um, it just opened up whole new worlds. And so that's been something then when I started reading some of those uh, black theologians and um, Howard Thurman is a mist, was a mystic and their perspective, their ideas about um, persisting through suffering. It's it's so rich. It's so, so rich. So, um, and of course, there's probably a hundred books, Brian. It was so unfair. <laughs> yeah. no, I know, but those, those are, but those are good ones. I mean, there are hundreds yeah. of books. It's like, you yeah. know, I have this, my little library behind me and I got like thousands of books in my regular office here. And it's exactly. like, it is, it is really hard to pick, but I mean, these are, yeah. these are great. These are great books. And, uh, and I, you know, I appreciate, um, you know, all of, um, I mean, I, I'm familiar with Cone and Merton's book. I haven't I've read some of the now ones, but I mean, these are just uh, such yeah. I mean, Cone and uh, Merton are so awesome. Just those two. So thank you for, for those. Sure. And, and we won't hold you that no other author will hold it against you that you didn't pick them today. Either, I know. <laughs> there are really <laughs> loads of people that I, I mean, even um, when you were talking about the body keeps the score, I'm like, not written from a Christian perspective, but boy, so informative, uh, so informative to spiritual formation, which is my hearts cry like that's it, it, you cannot heal unless you consider those aspects and i've never been to a doctor that said what's going on in your life right now or what what um what's happened to you what what's your past traumas about or a christian counselor who said who's taken those things into consideration and i think we have to have more a three-dimensional um response to people who are trying to heal yeah, it's so good. And, and the cool thing about that book, if, I mean, we, we, I'll just put it on the list too, since we've mentioned it a couple of times is that it, it, the, 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 the plan of helping people actually sounds a lot like spiritual formation. They just don't use that language because yeah. it's, it's secular meditation and I think yoga and mm -hmm. certain therapies, but a lot of those are the same kind of tools that, you know, you would use as a spiritual director in, in a different, slightly different form. Well, last question, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best place to find you, you know, talk about your podcast a little bit and 
let's let folks have a chance to engage with uh, with your with your work outside of um, your your book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, you could Google me at Lisa Delay or Lisa Cologne Delay. Um, LisaDelay.com is my website and Spark My Muse is my podcast, which comes out every Wednesday. And um, I'm also I also like writing letters and I have a P.O. box is P.O. Box 146 in Cresona, Pennsylvania, 17929. And I'm I think of letter writing as a spiritual practice as well, especially when you think about uh, joining someone on a journey on a spiritual journey as a companion it's it's kind of nice now not everybody wants likes to write letters and i get you know writers cramp really easily but um that's also a way to contact me and i love having conversations about the topics in my book that that really dig into deeper things and um challenge us to uh to be more brave i guess and uh, the easy thing sometimes is is to just let life pass you by and not really dig too deeply into our wounds but i think that if we do it together in good faith with each other and in and in love there is so much um fruit that comes from that oh thank you that, that's that's wonderful the letter writing i really like that so i'll make sure i get that into the all those things into the show notes and at least okay. it's been such a, a privilege to meet you today um thank you for writing a, an absolutely fantastic book the wild land within cultivating wholeness through spiritual practice and really appreciate the the careful way you've answered the questions i brought to you today oh it's been my pleasure thank you so much for the opportunity and everyone, thanks for hanging in with us all the way to the end of this episode. And until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope in the world. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you share it with friends or others in your network? And would you consider leaving a review so to help other people find this episode? All of the resources are in the show notes, so I invite you to check those out. And I want to also say, if you're interested in learning about Centering Prayer, my book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life, will be released in September of 2021. You can get it already on Amazon. And if you would like information about Centering Prayer and some help getting started, you can also sign up for information directly with me, go to centeringprayerbook.com. All that information is also in the show notes. I will see you next time.